This episode of Truth's Table is sponsored by Waterbrook, an imprint of Penguin Random House. Waterbrook publishes Christian books that seek to intensify and satisfy a reader's elemental thirst for a deeper relationship with God. Waterbrook seeks messages that draw on the Bible, experiential learning, story, practical guidance, and inspiration to help readers thrive in their faith. Waterbrook's website is waterbrookmultnomah.com. You can also follow them on social media at waterbrookmultnomah. Hey y'all, welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McCamini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? I'm doing okay. How are you? Oh yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You know, <laughs> fall is upon us. <laughs> is it, what's, what's the temperature you're working with? Um, I, you know, it, it's probably about seven, I'm inside. So about 70, I think right now. So, you know, mm-hmm, I'm not mm-hmm. complaining yet. <laughs> so. yeah. we, like we're, we're still yet holding on to the sunlight and that really matters to me. Like I, for me, I'm much yes. more concerned about natural sunlight than I am even about temperature. Although, you know, I don't want to be iced right. out, but I, the sunlight is, I need that vitamin D. I need my, I need my brain buzz. So I know, I know. Mm-hmm. I went and bought some vitamin D preemptively this last weekend just to okay. prepare, to prepare well, you know. for the gray sky, gray, gray skies that are coming. I already know. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's kind of a depressed season out here, I, you know, so I think that uh, we need to, everybody needs to kind of get on guard to protect their own mental health. Yes, um, and yeah. we do that, and spiritually and physiologically as well. Yes, yes, so yes, yes, we that. do. Yes, it is. You know, it has been a de- the um, there is some 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 depressing times, but <laughs> this table is not <laughs> yeah, depressed because yes, <laughs> because Jesus is alive, and amen, also amen. <laughs> it's a black girl magic interview. Cue the charms, uh, and we are so. Honored to have Patrice Gopo at this table with us. Hey, Patrice, how you doing? Hey, y'all. Thank you so much. This is going to be so fun. (laughs) We are excited to have you at the table, y'all. Okay, so we are, you know, once we start to get into the fall, that is a cue that Truth Table season is ending. It's coming to a close, Um, y'all. But we were like, you know, for the for the our very last Black Girl Magic um, interview, we wanted to bring Patrice Gopo to the table, and we are honored to have her with us. And and just in case y'all don't know, and and just Christina, just in case you don't know, because let me know what 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 don't I know about Patrice? Just in case you don't know, because you know I be knowing, I be getting the insight, (laughs) because they be giving me the bios beforehand. I think I I know Patrice, but do I know who Patrice is? Yes, let me know. Let me know. know. Let me know. Let me let you know. You're gonna learn a lot about Patrice. She has such a very interesting story um, and narrative in life. Like I'm like, yeah, it's like my life needs to be set up like this. Um, (laughs) So let me tell you, sister. Patrice was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That is step one. She. 
That's the one. <laughs> She's a child of Jamaican immigrants. Come on. Yeah. Uh, connect the diaspora. We're about that. Uh, her writings <laughs> often considers racial identity formation. You know, we love that. Yes. Race relations and the search for a sense of belonging. Because mm. we all need to belong. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Her essays have appeared in a variety of publications, y'all. Catapult, creative nonfiction, online in the New York Times and the Washington Post. And she is the recipient of North Carolina Arts Council Literature Fellowship. And her essay collection is entitled All the Colors We Will See. Y'all, mm. the book cover is beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Um, now, this was her book, All the Colors We Will See, was a fall 2018 Barnes & Noble Dis Discover Great New Writers selection. Uh, when she's not writing, she's speaking about how personal Storytelling can change people's mindsets in pursuit of healing in society and a more equitable world. So she lives with her family in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, please visit www.patricegopo.com to learn more. Welcome to the table, Patrice. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much, ladies. It is really an honor to be here. Yes. Well, we are so happy that you're here. Um, yeah. First and foremost, I'm curious uh, about, or we are curious, <laughs> just about your own faith journey. How did you come to faith and what did that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I feel like it sounds like the small question, but I feel like it encompasses so much of my life. My oh, faith yeah, journey yeah. is right. so woven in with my like identity journey, my, uh, just who I am in society. But, you know, I'll just say my parents, they are Jamaican immigrants and they came to Anchorage, Alaska and, um, they had found faith in Jamaica. So they came with their faith, um, when they came to Alaska and, uh, where I grew up in Anchorage, it is a predominantly white community. And so we mm -hmm. were very much part of, you know, the white evangelical church as a black family, that we were part of the white evangelical church. And so that's kind of the beginnings mm. of my faith journey. So sometimes I will mm. read these little things. Oh, you might have been evangelical if you, I don't know, did some different things as a child. <laughs> and I feel like I can check these boxes, you know, mm. and yet at the same time, there's this sense of disconnect connection because my journey as a black girl and as a, you know, becoming a black woman was still very yes. apart from what was happening in those spaces. And oh, so I feel yeah. like from early on, there was a sense of wrestling with the tension of this faith that I value. And, you know, even mm -hmm. sitting around in the Sunday school circle, singing about Jesus loving the little children, all the children of the world, you know, and these colors right. that we list and yet feeling like me and my sister were really the only children who were other colors in the circle, right? right? Yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of the beginnings, but you know, one thing I feel that's so interesting is I feel like there was this sense of God tugging on my heart, even despite kind of these elements that felt maybe confusing at times and mm. maybe not quite seeing how I fit in as this black girl from things like, um, you know, I just feel like when I look back, there were a lot of water activities and some of the youth group activities, which, you know, I don't know, sometimes it was just challenging for my hair. And I felt like nobody understood yeah. that, you know? Oh, sure, um, sure, sure, sure. So, right. And I mean, I, I know in a way that almost sounds simplistic. And yet for me, it wasn't because in a way it's saying, 
we're not recognizing that you're actually living maybe a different experience mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. and creating space yeah, for that. Um, and yet at mm-hmm. the same time, I, I still felt dearly loved by the people around me. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. there was a sense of deep love that people had for me and a desire to um, just speak words of life into my life. Um, so so I guess that's the thing that I often think when I think about my faith journey growing up in um, Anchorage is that it was this one of tension of experiencing love, but also experience a sense of not quite fitting in and not quite belonging mm-hmm. and wondering how do I fit into this overarching like spiritual narrative of God loving all of us and Christ coming for me too kind of thing. So so I think those were things that I kind of wrestled with, um, but maybe not in like a super overt kind of way. Um, and then I feel like during my college days, I had a real, I don't know if I'd call it like spiritual awakening, that almost sounds cliche, but I do <laughs> feel like there was this sense of I went off to college and when I was in college, I made friends with this group of black Mm -hmm. girls Mm -hmm. and they, many of them had roots in the black church, which was an experience I had not had before. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it was just, I just remember freshman year of college going to church with my friend and just looking around and like, Oh my goodness, there's a whole world here of, you know, black Mm -hmm. people just worshiping and loving God, which I, I feel like I knew on the fringe of my mind that that existed, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yet it wasn't necessarily something I was seeing. But the other thing that also happened was, you know, that sense of belonging is that I felt like there were many things about my own growing up experience that didn't necessarily align with the experience of those who had maybe grown up in the black church. So in that way, I also felt sometimes distant, which was Mm -hmm. like a sadness Mm -hmm. that I experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so I think there was that, that I also held um, as I was, you Mm -hmm. know, moving through my own faith journey, my own like racial identity journey as a Christian woman who is a black woman. Um, And I ended up studying abroad in London for a year when I was in college. And I ended up going to this really massive church there that was, um, I think the thing that I really take from it was that it was in that place that I felt like the Lord was saying, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So all these years I'd been in the church and I really had never thought so hard about that scripture in Psalm 139 about being mm, fearfully and wonderfully yeah. made. And I, and I feel like in that there was this affirmation of me being the person I am with the skin color I have, with the hair that I have, with, yeah. you know, the shape of my body, that that there was a lot of that that was going on there. And, and so I feel like those were really the beginnings of saying, I have a place in this faith. I do. I don't have to try and conform to how other people are expressing this, but actually there are people like me who are just living out this faith and loving the Lord. And, and so I think that's really what's put me on this journey of maybe deconstructing some of the messages I feel were given through the white evangelical church that really aren't part Mm -hmm. of Christianity that are just like messages that I think are very much rooted in whiteness and kind of trying to rid myself of those things and yet cling to what I feel is real. So, so that's where I am. I, I will say this, I still feel like this is still a journey. It's not as though I fully arrived. I think there are certain moments where I kind of look up and I mm. think, 
is this really the place that I fit? Is this, you know, the space I belong? And I feel like Mm. even in my writings, I wrestle with that notion of what it means to be part of this Christian faith, what it means to be a Black woman, what happens when it feels like some of those things are at odds with each other, when I feel like they shouldn't have to be at odds with each other. But the reality of our world is that there's this broken space and we are dealing with a lot of baggage. And I do feel that they sometimes feel at odds. And I just Mm. feel like for me, it's important to be honest about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, Mm. I think that that I wonder how your process, maybe the story like paralleled of you becoming a writer, right? How that maybe has opened the door for you to ask those questions or to to constantly ask those questions. Maybe you can share with us that parallel journey of Patrice becoming a writer. Yeah, absolutely. And it's true. I feel like it is very much a parallel journey because Mm. I actually, my background, um, my undergraduate degree is in chemical engineering and my graduate, I have two graduate degrees. I have an MBA and a master's of public policy. So just to give you a little frame of reference, I feel as though, um, how I ended up in chemical engineering was very much a sense of maybe the people around me in life, the adults around me in life, recognizing that I had giftings in terms of, you know, math and science. And then they looked at me and they also saw a woman, but more specifically, they saw a black woman who had these talents. So there was really this kind of sense of encouragement into the field of engineering, which I don't regret. But at the same time, I also feel like you know, there may have been other areas that I would have liked to have explored too, but I ended up studying engineering in school. I became a chemical engineer and I actually worked at um, Eastman Kodak for a couple of years. So I was working on like, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, old school film, mm-hmm. right? Um, oh, yeah. We remember yeah, that. Right. Not. Which actually, can I just say? <laughs> we remember film. I'm a daughter and she, um, I was trying to explain this to her and she's just, she was just completely confused. And I thought, oh my goodness, I have worked on a technology my child doesn't even understand. And I bet, I bet. And I felt, you guys, I felt dated. I felt <laughs> you are, dated. You are. I know, that must be a trip. You're like, oh, this is really happening in real time to me. Like it happens right. to my parents, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so, you can see it. It's occurring. And, um, but yeah, so I, I did that for a couple years and I then just, you know, I have, I have a real heart for issues of justice in the world and just this belief that that how things are not the way they should be and that we can do things to transform, to work towards transformation in the world. So I decided to go back to school, to graduate school. I wanted to get my uh, MBA and I later added on a master's of public policy because my intent was to work with economic and community development and particularly working with financial empowerment programs in under-resourced communities. And uh, that work actually ultimately took me to Cape Town, South Africa at the end of my studies. I received a grant to go work with some of the women in the townships in Cape Town, helping them start small businesses as a mechanism of material poverty alleviation. And you guys, like the day I arrived, I met the guy that I ended up marrying. So wow. we, um, so like I got that's off the, the place plane. To go, apparently. And, <laughs> yeah, right. So apparently. That's, what, that's what happened. I need, I need that anointing. Come on, dude. Husband coming. Husband coming. So he, so my husband, Nyasha, he's from Zimbabwe, but he had gone to the University of Cape Town. 
And so when I finished my 10 weeks over in Cape Town, I came back to the States and we kept in touch and everything. And then, um, you know, we got married about a year and a half later. And when I moved to Cape Town at that point, so I moved um, from the States to Cape Town after we got married and I no longer had a work permit. And this is where the beginnings of the writing life uh, started because I I, I was kind of at a loss, all the things that I was trained for, I wasn't actually able to do in the way that I wanted to be doing it. And it, this writing thing started bubbling up and I discovered that there was power in sharing these stories from my life, these experiences yes. from my life that could speak into issues that I really cared about in the world. And so I, I often think how, you know, it sounds like I've moved from all over the map, from chemical engineering to um, this economic and community development to writing. And I often think that, you know, what I feel as though there are threads of creativity that connect all of those things. And I sometimes feel, especially as Black women, that we can be boxed into being a certain thing, that in a way society wants to tell us what we need to be. And we you know, it takes, we have to find like courage to step beyond those, those ideas that society would want to box us in. And yet at the same time, I'm going to be completely honest. One of my personal struggles when I left chemical engineering was I felt like as a black woman, I inhabit a sort of role as a role model for other young black girls who might want to pursue this field, you know? And so to leave that in a way, it wasn't just making a decision about myself, but I felt like I was making a decision about what I might speak into my community. So I think there was, again, some of that sense of tension of wrestling with identity, of wrestling, where do I fit here? But then what is my role within the context of my larger community? Um, and, and I still think about it from time to time. I, I do feel like there's been power in stepping forth in the writing life and that that says something there that models this idea that actually we don't need to be conformed by what other people say that we can carve our own path. But, um, but I still feel like, you know, there's that tension, I guess, maybe you guys, I feel like I say that I live with multiple tensions. Well, that, I mean, that's the, that's the life of a believer. I mean, we, that's if we, we worship a God who is both, uh, uh, Jesus is both hundred percent God, hundred percent man. Right. And we've never laid eyes on him. That's the tension, but we know he lives. You know, right? right? As yeah, the old gospel yeah. says, he lives inside my heart. Now that yeah. that's attention. You know, yes. all yeah. of the, that's the reality of our lives, right? Um, as believers, especially on this side, right? Um, right. Uh, and right. I just I love that you're you know trying to divide defy you know these um, these rigid boxes that people tend to put us in. Um, yeah. And I think that's what I found uh, so compelling about um, the essays in all the colors we will see, particularly okay. there's one in particular that, yeah. that really jumped out. Actually, there's quite a few, but there's one that really jumped out to me. I'm going to read an excerpt here actually. Okay. Uh, Cause yeah. you took, you took me all the way back. Okay. And I don't <laughs> care about dating myself at this point. And so the, the title of this essay is caught in the year of OJ Simpson Ooh. and Huckleberry Finn. And I was like, oh, oh, we going to OJ. I was like, okay. And so, <laughs> so I want to read an excerpt and I want to just in the spirit of talking about like defying boxes or stereotypes or, um, yeah. or ha- having to, um, feel forced to think, you know, um, yeah. in a certain way. Right. Uh, I thought, I thought it was fascinating your own take in your own experience with this. So I'm going to read an ex- excerpt here and you can just talk about it, uh, yeah, with our absolutely. listeners. So I'm going to start here, um, where it says on page 40 is what my 
my my book says, um, while Huck Finn and Jim took over first period English, details of OJ's trial polarized the nation. Local papers covered the jury selection process, the prosecutor, the defense attorney, the judge, and every other detail of events unfolding in a courtroom several states and a time zone away. The evening news gave updates and the 24-hour news network clamored to share details about a house guest, about a glove, about the race card. News stories declared with some sort of national authority that one skin color could predict one's opinion about the trial. Black America supported his innocence and white people believed him guilty. Maybe having skin like OJ's meant I should have believed him, but I didn't. At least I didn't think I believed him. Too convenient, I thought, along with everyone else around me. The motive made sense. Students at their lockers in the hallways talked about the trial. At lunchtime, they unfolded brown paper sacks and and pulled sandwiches from plastic bags. Speaking of OJ, his dead ex-wife, her friend, I heard the phrase double homicide. And what lingers is the image of a black man's stoic face, his short, dark waves of hair, the deep brown of his skin, the bulk of his shoulders. I mostly listened and nodded. When my class read passages of Huckleberry Finn aloud, my teacher commanded, read over the N-word. The word is offensive. My gaze dropped toward the slick surface of my desk. I remember the first time I had heard that word just a a few years earlier on the playground of my elementary school near the swing set fixed against the backdrop of Arctic mountains. A girl, her wispy blonde hair tucked beneath the knit of a winter cap, had explained the word to a circle of children dressed in bulky snow pants and heavy coats. That's a word for black people, she'd say, Uh, glancing in my direction. I had nodded then to a sign of my new understanding, end quote. So Patrice, I just, if you could just talk to us just about that excerpt and, and yeah, it was just very dense and very um, vivid though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I will just say, there is something about hearing someone read your words and, um, I don't know. In a, in that moment, I felt like I was inhabiting mm. this distance and I felt this like deep mm. sadness for the mm. girl in this story. And then I thought, Oh wait, yep. this is you. But it's not me. It's, it's me. Right. But it's not me. It's me from the past. It's like that younger right. version yeah, young of you, myself. Yeah. And I, and I just had this moment of just thinking, and, and I really felt like I remember being her. And um, so, you know, I feel like there's a lot that is happening in this essay. So I think when you use the word dense, I think that was a good word because I think there's a lot that's happening in this essay yeah. in terms of the narrator. So I'm just going to refer to her as the narrator, even though we all know this is me, you guys, or, you know, just to make it a little easier for myself. But the narrator, um, she is clearly in her own journey of like racial identity formation. This is happening, right? That she, she is growing up in this predominantly white community and she is recognizing the ways that she is not the same as the other people around her. And yet I think there's also that sense of not wanting to be dissimilar that is coming through. So even that way that she's trying to like look away from, you know, the use of the N-word in the book or the the kid has is te- explaining this to people and she's like trying to look like she's trying to somehow distance herself from this thing that actually she can't truly distance herself from, right? And so, right, right. so there's that that she is interacting with. And then I also think there's this idea of society too and the ways in which 
society is seeking to determine how we need to be thinking because of what we look like. And, um, and I think it's a complicated journey because I think there's that sense of society wanting to do that. But at the same time, how we can be so influenced by the people around us. And so this is maybe to go back to that question you asked about faith. And when I think about, you know, growing Mm -hmm. up in the white evangelical church, as much as I feel like people dearly loved me, I think there's a sense of influence they had with just even their ideas that were shaping me in ways that maybe weren't positive for me. And, um, and so I just think about that here now that, you know, the discussions around this trial that, in this particular space that is predominantly white, that there are ideas that are being fostered that are shaping how I'm thinking. And I'm, I'm in this, you know, very, um, what would be the right word? This space where you're very malleable to what, what you're hearing around you, you know? And so what does that look like to try and um, almost take back the power that you have to actually think through things yourself without Mm being um overly just influenced by the um the larger like white space that I'm existing in. So I so I think there's those elements that are happening here. And what does it look like for a 15-year-old girl to navigate this? Um one of the things that I've when I shared this essay first with my parents. So my parents are Jamaican immigrants, like I said mm-hmm. earlier. And one of the things that from their particular experience is they just did not have a lot of experience knowing what it was to be a black person in America because they didn't yeah. grow up here. So in terms of even knowing some of the things that may have come along my education journey, they were just maybe not as aware as I feel I am with my own children having grown up in this country. And so I've mentioned this essay to my Mm. parents, shared it to them. And my father said this one thing to me, I just wish you would have said something to us so we could have said something. Mm. And I was saying to him, I didn't even know I could say something. Mm. And I I think, you know, and so in a way, I sometimes think we put a lot of burden of responsibility on our children to have adult ways of thinking about race that they just may not have. Now, certainly, I think over the years I've grown and I think some families, because they would have maybe been working earlier. And so maybe their children would have been more in this position to feel like they could push back. I also think even the presence of, you know, a few other black children in the classroom can kind of help you with that, you know, speaking up. Um, But so I think it's just kind of trying to interrogate that. What does that look like? You know? So one of the things that I feel though, that I really appreciate about this essay is that there's this sense of ending of the narrator experiencing maybe a moment of awareness. Now, in a way, she kind of mm-hmm. returns to just being swept up in the stream of students, but I, you can see that there's something that's happened. Um, she observes these two other Black um, students in her school, and there's something that happens that makes her think, hey, I need to be taking more note of this. Here's here's something I want to know, understand more. So mm-hmm. that may have been a long answer, but it was, there's a, I feel like there's a lot happening in that very short essay. 
so achemony. We spend so much time at the table talking to sisters in the faith, people who are out here spreading truth and sharing so much knowledge. Word on the street is that our sis, Latasha, is dropping some knowledge directly into our readers' hands. What's going on? Yes, our sister Latasha Morrison, who, by the way, was a Black Girl Magic guest from season one is dropping her debut book entitled Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. We are so excited for Latasha Morrison uh, because in Be the Bridge, the book, it presents a compelling vision of what it means for every follower of Jesus to become a bridge builder who is committed to pursuing justice and racial unity in light of the gospel. Y'all know Tasha doesn't play. And in the book, she addresses the fact that racial tensions are I within the church and outside the church, right? And it's a time for Christians to become the leaders in the conversation on racial reconciliation. As y'all know, Tasha Morrison is firmly rooted in the biblical principle of reconciliation. So Be the Bridge is a power-packed guide that inspires and equips Christians to dismantle barriers and pursue racial unity. And Tasha is not holding back. Uh, In Be the Bridge, she presents a surprising blend of unapologetic candor and genuine hope. Morrison encourages the church to lead the charge in the pursuit of justice and reconciliation. So, Em, do we have a deal for our sisters at the table? Yes, we have got to. Y'all don't want to miss this book. Make sure you go to bethebridge.com slash store and use the code TRUTH15 for 15% off. Now, This code, TRUTH15, will get you 15% off at bethebridge.com slash store only from September 28th to October 10th. So you have to exactly run to there. (laughs) Uh, While you're there, you can also pre-order the book. And when you do, I think we get exclusive bonuses from Latasha. What did they get? There's like curated playlists. There's a spoken word piece from the book or focused around its topics. And there's an interview with the author and so much more. Now to pre-order the book, you wanna go to a special website link and that is wmbooks.com slash BTB pre-order. So if you wanna get the store discount, get your 15% with our code truth15 at bethebridge.com slash store. But if you want to pre-order the book, and we suggest you do to get all these extras, go to wmbooks.com slash btb pre-order. Sisters, you know, we never leave y'all without a deal. Get on it, sisters. It's a, it's a gift to hear a an artist um, or a creative unpack their work. <laughs> so, I mean, you, I mean, I mean, you get, you get the work and you get the, let me, let me move you through it. And so yeah. I think, I think that's great. And I think our listeners will really appreciate as I think we have kind of the storytelling, the behind the scenes, the development pieces as well. You know, I was thinking, I, I felt like I would be remiss to, if I, if I skip this question, particularly in light of um, the recent passing of Toni Morrison. And I was curious, Patrice, and, mm. and I know, I know Kimney loves some Toni Morrison down in her soul, okay? Um, Okay, I I didn't want to trigger her, but (laughs) you're going to be all right? You're going to be all right? (laughs) But 
She was loved. She was loved. She, was loved. Oh, she, she, loved. she loved us. There you go. Yeah. She loved us. She loved and, us. And but I am curious, Patrice, about maybe some of your your writing influences um, and how that has shaped you, and maybe also how you want your writing legacy to be recalled or to be remembered by Black women specifically, um, as we think about mm. uh, Morrison's passing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of Toni Morrison, I just got her collection of essays. So the source of self-regard, oh, which yes. I've never read before. Uh, so I am yes, very yes, much yeah. Yeah, looking into um, just, yeah, I'm just really interested. And I, I love essays. Well, you guys know I wrote an essay collection, so I'm excited yes, you did. <laughs> about that. <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, I think for me, um, I know I read Maya Angelou, I know why the cage bird sings in high school. Uh -huh. And that was really pivotal for me because I feel like it was the first time I'd really read a book that centered around a black woman. And, um, and yeah. And I, I think in the moment I didn't realize how significant it was until I went back years later and read that book. And, and I just thought, she's telling her story here, you know, mm -hmm, she's, and, yes. and we are valuing this, uh, which, which I think was, you know, just really important for me. I think another author that I really appreciate is Marita Golden. She has this beautiful, I guess you would call it a corporate memoir called Don't Play in the Sun. And it really explores oh, yes, the yes. nature of color. Do you guys colorism. know it? Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yep. Colorism. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I just think she has so much truth that she brings there and her exploration, there's a fullness to her exploration that I really, um, that I just really value there. So, so I think there's definitely that, uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, I've enjoyed her work yeah, and mm -hmm. I've just enjoyed how she's been received in this country as well. I think that's been an encouragement for me as a writer. And then just so many others, I feel like I could just glance over the shelf. A friend just gave me a signed copy of Brown Girl Dreaming. So Jacqueline Woodson's Brown Girl yes, Dreaming. Yeah. I'm mm -hmm. very excited about mm -hmm. that. I already had a copy, but she's like, it's one assigned. I said, that's important because she held that it. Is. So um, <laughs> that is important. <laughs> Yeah, right. So, so, you know, one thing that I do feel when I think about writing influences and just the nature of writing is I feel excited for my girls that I feel like they are having more access to authors um, and stories that reflect who they are, which I feel as though I really didn't have that as much growing up. I mean, I just think, um, you know, 30 years ago, there was less than we have now. I still feel like we have a long way to go, but I do feel like it is better than where we were. So that excites me to think that, you know, there, there's more for my own daughters to think about. But one of the things when I think about that question of the legacy of my own work is I, so this is what I feel believe in very strongly that we need an abundance of black stories in the world. And I say yeah. this a lot, like an abundance of black stories in the world. I remember somebody reading my book. So um, she wasn't a black person. She read my book and she said to me, I'm so, or she was going to read my book. And she said, I just want to read your book so I can understand what it is to be a black woman. And I said to her, I want you to read my book and recognize you're reading the story of one black woman. And I hope that this would inspire you to go read more stories, not yeah. that this would be like, I didn't quite say it like this, but that it wouldn't be like, I've checked the box now. Oh, and yeah. mm -hmm. we've, you know, we've done that, that actually, no, I'm writing from a very particular vantage point. I'm yes, writing oh, as particular the black American location. daughter of Jamaican mm -hmm. immigrants who grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. And while I absolutely think that there are, 
parts of my story that will resonate with Black women, you know, across this country and even parts of the world. There are aspects that are unique to who I am and unique to me, and that it's important that we recognize that you know, as Black people, we're not just this one big monolith of people, that we all have these unique experiences and stories, and those are valued. I feel like, you know, especially within the dominant race, that we give space for lots and lots of different types of stories. And Mm -hmm. I, I think as a Black woman growing up as a girl, I don't think I ever read a story about a Black girl who was the daughter of immigrants. I I mean, I just can't even remember a story like that. And yet it's an important story. And so in that way, I hope the legacy of my work is just adding to that nuance of what it means to be a Black person. Mm. And a person in general, not just a Black person, but just a person in general, you know, so... Mm, that's good, Patrice. That's really, really good. And um, oh, I'm, I'm glad you're in the number of Black women writers contributing to um, um, to add and multiply, right? The narratives yes. Um, yes. that are out there so that yes. uh, future generations of not only Black women, but Black men too, um, yeah. and non-Black people um, yes. can learn um, and yes. read and enter into yeah. our worlds, you know? Exactly. Um, not, as, not as some sort of social experience experiment, but just to right. actually learn and read and enjoy um, yes. the perspective of yep. somebody else um, that yes. is uh, that live a different life uh, yes. than them and has a different experience uh, from yeah. them. And um, talking about different experiences, it's time for Force Fun. <laughs> I wish we had, um, I, again, I say this every time, I was like, we need a theme song for our Force Fun segment. Um, <laughs> So it is time, time, time for some fun, light questions. Okay. So the first question actually I'm going to ask you is if we were to ride, if we were, if we were in North Carolina, which you were in Charlotte and we were hopping your car, what song or what, what album or music are you listening to? What will we hear in Patrice's car? Oh yeah, we're gonna hear Brown Skin Girl. Oh <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's what we'll be listening to right now. Yes. We, um, yes, I have been playing it and playing it for my girls. Oh, so goodness. for myself, but also for my girls, I think there is something. I don't know, just for them to hear that, and you should just watch them when we're listening to it. And I was actually at an event last week, and so this was an event of people of multiple races, and mm-hmm. you know, people were just playing music, and someone started playing this song, and it was just neat to see mm. us black women like grouped together around this. And I yes. thought, yeah, this it, there's something super empowering about that. Oh goodness, yes, yes, it is the black girl theme song of life. That's now. right, and so it's beautiful. I can't right. imagine growing up having that song. You know, I know that my know. my little cousins, like when I play for them, she's about she's about to be three. She's not even three yet. Loves yes. that song. Like you know, it's exactly. so affirming. It's it, and it's just I know yeah. it is. It's it is, and I think song. there's a sense like right. I think we all should be affirmed, and we yeah we need an anthem right so i'm really glad that it's yes, out there yes 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 okay that's good that's good um so that's beyonce's brown skin girl from the spirit uh-huh. album um okay so next is um if you could have a superpower 
which superpower would you choose? I'm trying to remember if we give you options or if you just choose. Um, I can't oh. remember if which one we do. I think, I think we, um, I think the options are out of the, the superpowers. So I think we give you a couple options is, okay. um, you can be invisible. Uh-huh. You can, um, 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 stop time. Um, or I think the other option might be that you can, fl- oh, no, no. Yes. You can fly. I think those okay. are, the th- I think those are the three options, you know, so, okay. but you can also okay. add in if you want to, if you, if you think of a different superpower, that's okay too. And okay. So, what, if, okay. if you have a superpower, any superpower, what would you have? <laughs> okay. Um, well, I will say, I don't think it's flying, although that sounds really exciting, but I do have a little fear of heights, so I don't know okay. if that would work out well <laughs> for me. But, you know, and I'm about to say, I'm going to pick stop time, but I feel a little bad because I'm about to make this serious when I know this is lighthearted. But really, I was thinking stop time because I feel like I get in a lot of situations where people make kind of off comments to me and oh gosh, I yes. then later will think of what I should have said in response. <laughs> oh and I just think if I could stop time, right. I could take a pause and like collect my thoughts and, and then go back and, and then go back. Right. You know, but, um, I don't know. I did think like time traveling. Could that be a super? Yeah. Time travel. Like, hey, that's fine. Time, time travel. travel. Yeah. Time travel works. Yeah. That way you can, you can go back, you can go forward. You can, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Time I travel. thought that might be interesting. Time travel. Yeah, that way you so. can have, so that you can be, so your clap back is ready. Or, and you know, I'll also say it's not always someone says, so. I think sometimes I just feel like, Oh, I wish I had even said something affirming there in that situation. Right, and I could right, just right, right. Stop time and you know whatever, and kind of do what I really would like to. Just take a little pause to think about how I want to respond in this situation. I got you. I got you. Well, the last question for our force fun segment is okay. It's titled "One Gotta Go." Okay, so. Now, usually we just we just say the first name of the artist and you got to choose which one has to go. Like, you know, which one like out of all the three, it's like out of all the four, actually, you're like you love them. But it's like, OK, one has to go. And it's a hard choice. It's a hard choice. So here are your options. Oh, I don't know. OK. All right. <laughs> here are the okay. options. OK. One got to go. Whitney. Shaka. Anita. Or Aretha. Which one's got to go? Oh, I know. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. Oh my gosh, guys. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> okay. I think we'll we'll pick Anita. I th- okay. All right. Anita. I, I think, um, but I feel, I feel bad about this. <laughs> I think. <laughs> We're not, I no, think one, like, no one feels good about this. Just, Nobody has like ever thought I could have stopped time right there and just said, <laughs> and responded and said, I don't want to play. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I think that's what I, I could have used at my superpower. And you have moment. it. Exactly. Time travel like, you know what? No, I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. Right. right? Yeah. Not, yeah. Not this. Actually. <laughs> I know this is the game, but I don't have to play the game. (laughs) That's so funny. Okay. So, Anita, no, nobody ever feels good about their choice. Okay. I'm sure not. 
I it's think a, that's not a very nice thing. It's to very, do. But that's okay. It's, you guys are nice people. It's so a it's rude question. It's a hard question, but we got to answer. Okay. So yours okay. is going to end up. You're not the only one that's had to make the choice, you know, at the okay. table. Okay. All oh right. my gosh. Thank you so much, Patrice. We're having, doing our force fun segment. Um, and now this is a time where we just have, we turn the table over to you and so you can talk to our sisters at the table and tell them any new projects you have going on, um, ways that they can keep up with you and your work, maybe on social media. Uh, just go ahead and share whatever you want to share. Plug away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah. So like you guys said, my first book, All the Colors We Will See, it released last year, um, August of 2018. And so Yay. I feel as though after one really hectic kind of year, I am now just starting to think again, what does it look like to start imagining something next? So that's the space I feel that I'm Mm. in. Um, I do send out an occasional newsletter that talks a little bit about maybe what I'm up to with writing. I do interviews with essayists, um, primarily focusing on other women of color as well who are writing essays out there in the world. So if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, if you just go to patricegopo.com, something, some little pop-up will pop up and you can just subscribe right there. You can find me on social media, on Facebook. I'm at Patrice Gopo Writes. And then on Instagram and Twitter, I am at, at Patrice Gopo. And yeah, I'd love to connect and I, I think some of the other work that I am up to in the midst of writing is I do a lot around teaching and speaking about the importance of sharing personal stories, not just so we can know each other better, but really in pursuit of justice in the world and in pursuit of a more equitable world. So that's really a lot of my heart is really getting voices out there in the world that we often aren't hearing and hearing those stories so that we can make changes in society. Awesome. Awesome. Patrice. Well, thank you so much for coming to the table and y'all just in case we want you to definitely, of course, keep um, up with our sister because we know she's going to have some, of course, some fun things I'm sure coming down the pipeline or new things. Um, Visit her website at patricegopo.com on Facebook at Patrice Gopo writes Instagram and Twitter at Patrice Gopo. And of course, all of this info will be in our show notes as well. Um, And we want to thank you, Patrice, for taking a seat at the table with us. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. This has been super fun. Thank you so much. And I am not going to hold any grudges for your final fun question. Uh, (laughs) Please don't. Yes. It's all love. It's all love. (laughs) Yes. Give us grace. Give us grace. That's right. That's right. And of course. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome, sis. And of course, to our sisters at the table, we want to thank you for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about Black Girl Magic interview with Patrice Gopo using the hashtag Truth's Table. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truth's Table or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth's Table has a Patreon account now, so you can send your love off to www.patreon.com slash truthstable or you can bless us at our PayPal which is www.paypal.me slash truthstable truthstable is made possible in part by Pottery Studios visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment our producer for the show is Joshua Heath our executive producer is Bo York and we have been your hosts Akemini, Michelle and Christina we'll see you soon on the next Truth Table bye y'all